Welcome to Leadership of Fools, opening the boardroom door to real leadership conversations. Welcome to the International Women's Day 2019 edition of Leadership of Fools. Very excited to be here. A really, really great topic. Um, I'm Nat Fan from MYB, and today I'm joined by an amazing group of women around the table. I've got Simone Carroll, I've got Alice Sidhu, and Kate Tempe. Welcome, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. Great to be here. Very exciting times. So this uh, theme for, for International Women's Day this year is hashtag balance for better. And really it's talking about gender balance. And the fact that International Women's Day is not really just about um, a day for women to celebrate how far we've come and where we're going, but really thinking about the value of gender equality as an economic and as a community issue to help um, generally our communities thrive. And so I thought I'd kick off by asking you each a bit of a question. When we think about gender balance and equality, it relates to a number of topics that the um, International Women's Day agenda have put on the table. And I'm wondering from each of you, perhaps if you could tell me where you think there's the greatest imbalance. Because what we're going to do today is not only look at where we think there is imbalance, perhaps share some stories, but really look at tips and solutions and really focus in on what needs to be done to solve some of these issues. So I'll give you a bit of a list. You can have a think about it and you might have something that's not on the list as well. So there's gender gender equality and gender imbalance as it relates to the boardroom, as relates to in our government, media coverage, in businesses, teams, diversity of employees, in wealth, in sports and sports coverage. So I might hand over to Simone. Where do you think the greatest imbalance exists? Oh, I'm going to go right off the list and say perhaps within ourselves. Maybe going deep, but I think that there's something about having a balanced life and a balanced sort of internal ecosystem. But I'm very interested in what Alice has to say about this. <laughs> Already? We just started. <laughs> I'm actually going to go to the top of the list, which I know is very um, traditional. And I'm going to say boardrooms. And the reason why is because when you think about the boardrooms, they impact government, they influence what's in the media, they influence teams, they influence how we think about ourselves, they influence industry, and they influence socioeconomics and politics. And so whilst we're talking about, you know, more women on boards, I feel like if we actually think about the influence that you can exert when you're on a board and the, the, across the board, then that would be, pardon the pun there, um, that would be something worth exploring. Fabulous. And Kate? I want to tick all of them on mm-hmm. the list and a few others, and I do, Simone, really like self. Um, I think an interesting stat that stood out to me recently, uh, by 2030, um, you, we are going to see an enormous uh, wealth transfer to women. Two-thirds of wealth... By 2030, so it's not far off, is going to be transferred to women. So I tend to relate wealth to power and I think we are going to see, and I think it comes under the wealth piece, but it really permeates everything on that list because once we have wealth in the hands of women, we will see it allocated in different ways. And I think, excitingly, I think it will be allocated across all of those 
sectors. And it's just such an amazing thought. Like each of these, we could talk about each of these for mm. hours and hours yeah. and we're going to have to focus in on a couple. Yes. It was interesting when I looked at this list, um, the ones that stood out for me were really also around media coverage. I think to make big change, we've got to be able to see it everywhere and media is so visible. But one of the ones that I also thought about, and it came up on our LinkedIn uh, feed, was really also about the domestic balance. So how you get gender equality and the role that the domestic balance actually plays in that. So the big question of right now is really where to start. Mm. Um, and, and I might actually start a little bit off the cuff and just ask Simone to maybe explain a little in a little bit more detail what you meant by your topic because I think perhaps the other two are a little bit better understood even at surface level. Yes. So let's talk, about, let's talk about self. That internal balance. Well, I think yeah, over the... Over the years, you know, I've had a, an external orientation, as, as we often do. I think um, we think about a lot of things. Like humanity, we're addicted to, to thinking about a lot of things, what's happening outside of us, and what should I do about it? And we end up thinking and doing a lot of things, but without necessarily understanding uh, or being in the present moment and understanding what those things that we're thinking about and doing um, contribute to our lives and that's a big probably esoteric topic but it relates to prob probably a lot of the things on the list because if we understand the, the value of the thing that we're going to do the value of the labor that we're going to share the, la the value of the contribution we're going to make at the uh, board table then we're in a position to um, establish what we're prepared to give to it um, and then balance that off against the other things that we might want to do, like our health and wellbeing. So can I break that down another layer and ask, like, what's the problem that you see? So, so when you talk about that from a theoretical perspective, what's the belief in terms of what – is it the way that women are appearing, the self-belief that sits under that? What is it? Well, I think it's, it's not necessarily women. You know, I think it's, it's men and women. You know, there's a lot of men that have um, – a family tries to achieve balance and you talk about sort of domestic balance and what we might do that by, you know, he or she goes to work, we have a primary breadwinner in our family and we have someone who looks after the home, the home has balance, but does the individual get balance as a result of that? Does dad get to see you know, the kids enough and participate in the community? Does, um, does mum, and I'm talking about a nuclear family here obviously, but, you know, does, does mum get to... Um, you know, show up and contribute in the business community in the way that, that she might want to do that in her lifetime. So we've always, we've, we can't assume that, um, that the individual's balance just because the family, the team, the company, the country might achieve balance overall. So it's still on the individual to, to find that within themselves and then over a lifetime um, find balance. And, and what I, where I think where I've arrived at this is... Um, you know, over, over the years, I've, I've found my seat, you know, at an executive table and I've worked in corporate, in uh, a corporate environment and I've taken on a lot of things. So I've had no problem, you know, being able to, to find opportunity, find my, find my voice. But in doing that, I've accumulated a lot of things that I've been doing. So whilst I've had equal opportunity and equal rights around a table, I haven't necessarily achieved balance. So the next stage in my evolution is to achieve that, that so, individual so, balance. So in terms of that individual balance, and you say sometimes you haven't achieved balance, like what falls down? What, well, what, what happens is, is, is ultimately the value of what I do diminishes. 
And there's this concept of a glass cliff. We've all heard about the glass ceiling, and we've all, you know, and I'm, you know, from a, a female point of view, we've wanted to break through that glass ceiling. So what's happened is, is you take on things in order to get through the glass ceiling. So yeah, I'll do that job nobody else wants to do, right? And that gives you a seat at the table. But what it does is it diminishes in taking on all those extra jobs. It diminishes the value of, of each of those roles, and you set yourself up to fail. And that's not necessarily the fault of the company or the community. That's what you've had to do to break through, you know, the glass ceiling. There's a lot of nodding. No, a lot of nodding. Right? Yeah, yeah. Everyone yeah. Who yeah. else has had an experience? I can relate to to that. I don't know that anyone can say that they they haven't. To me, some of the things that you're talking about when I I hear you, Simona, things around um, uh, self worth and self care, which is interesting because it's the whole thing of um, perhaps trying to prove yourself all the time, and. You know, there were a few times in my career where, I, yeah, I've actually plenty of times where I've thought I'm going to do that because that's interesting. I've tried not to think about the glass ceiling and you don't until you encounter it and you say, where did that come from? <laughs> where the hell did that come from? <laughs> okay, it's actually a thing. <laughs> um, and the thing that tends to fall down is self-care, which, you know, and so for you know, one of the things that I've always tried to do, no matter how busy I am or what I've taken on where I've thought I've just been absolutely stupid, is to make sure that I'm getting up for runs at whatever time of the day. Like my, you know, the physical and mental aspect of looking after myself is really, really important. But the interesting thing, and I'll comment because I know, Kate, you should comment as well, but I was listening to a podcast um, that was referred to me. I mentioned this earlier, but funnily enough, for Women's Day, but by a, a male friend who's 30 <laughs> and spends, you know, a lot of time in terms of mindfulness. And he actually shared this with me because he said it's really, it was really interesting and, and I did find it that way. He talked about the power dynamic of women when they in a relationship. It was a, a heterosexual relationship, but it could apply to any type. Um, when they make more money than men. I guess. Um, so maybe it is a heterosexual thing, I don't know. Um, and it talked about the fact that there is a dynamic that happens where even though they're making more money than men, they still actually have more of the domestic duties as well and the responsibilities. So it talked about, you know, um, being able to get that balance because we're still always trying to prove things, which is the whole point about when do you actually stop and say, this is enough for me. Yeah, Who's and I'm sure we can all relate to it. I've got like <laughs> all these things that have even just happened in the last week. So, like, you know, so often, I don't know if this happens to anyone, I'll be in the kitchen sort of half-dressed. So I might have my underwear. And Scott's always looking at me like, why We're getting are you half-dressed <laughs> half making lunches? And oh, I'm like, yeah. because yeah. I always come last. Like my list of things to do, I, I come at the bottom of that list. And that talks to exactly we've got to prioritise self-care. And I love the fact that you get up for a run. Another example, the other morning I've got a little baby and she does not sleep very much at all. And I'd been awake since 2 a.m. Oh, wow. But the weekend prior, I'd been saying to my husband, he does a lot of exercise, I really need to start exercising more. And he said, okay, well, that's oh, like I can help you with that. That's fine. In the mornings, I'll look after Flo, our baby, for a little while and you can do some exercise. So I'd been up since two. I had not slept. And so his alarm went off at 5.30 wow. and the first thing he does is roll over <laughs> and say to me, oh, why don't you get up now and go for a run? And I was like, <laughs> I was furious. And I was thinking, you know, all these things I've got to do and, and it is, it's never really balanced but I also don't think we put ourselves Wait, first. Oh, yeah. And that was my comment. I think one thing that I'm trying to learn is to say no. No's really hard. Yeah, and I'm over the cliff of wanting to prove myself on a and accumulate things. So that's part of it. I think it's very – and one observation I, I, I would make is we've got to respect our listeners are all different ages 
and we have come through and, you know, and I think it is harder when you're younger because you do need to accumulate and expose yourself. But where we are now when probably the smorgasbord is more than you can eat, um, saying no is really interesting because everyone else thinks you're going to be great at it and they think that ambition is the ambition is their ambition is your ambition and so what I'm finding it's quite interesting when you explain to people I am very clear and I think I've achieved this through mindfulness knowing my purpose around why I'm doing things and when it doesn't fit I find it still very hard to say well it doesn't fit and people Mm. but that's the you should be ambitious to that. But no, that wasn't my starting point about why I was doing it. So I'm very focused on the purpose and I think it sits right neatly on the balance that you're talking about. Because if you ground yourself in that purpose, you are there, you are present and you know um, your capacity. But policing that yeah. is really hard it because is. everything's dynamic and yeah. everything's exciting, right? Yeah, I mean, and I'm it is really <laughs> knowing where your own boundaries are as well. And yeah. I talk a lot about this, like, you know, and I'm sure you... I mean, everyone here has had, you know, quite... It is in an amazing position and you do hear things like, I don't know how you do it all and, you know, it's amazing that you are able to fit that much in but at the same time, for me, it's about knowing where those boundaries are and there are some things that I just don't do well and I have to acknowledge that I'm not going to, for example, remember every single person's birthday outside of my immediate family or um, that my kids might eat a cheese and bacon roll on the way to work. Like, we've got to find those boundaries to know where the value is as aligned with our purpose and create create a conversation. I think another thing that can happen sometimes in a, a household of any type is even from that domestic balance perspective is it's understanding the roles that different people play but also having a vocal conversation about what different people are contributing because if you don't say those things out loud you kind of don't know like and so you take it all on but it's never spoken about until you reach boiling point and it ends up in an argument yeah I've I've realized that my husband didn't realize that I was cooking every night right so when we you know, end up have we had a conversation around who does what conversation who, or yeah. argument? It was a rather heated conversation for, for uh, regular listeners. People will know my husband, <laughs> Chrissy Carroll, <laughs> and um, and he he does contribute. You know, if we were to, if we were to tally it up, you would say it's fifty fifty, right? But it doesn't always feel that way. So um, he he does the laundry, he pays the bills, these sorts of things. But we were on autopilot as a family and he was doing the things that he valued and I was doing the things that I valued. By definition, we didn't value what each other was doing, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So you've got to call it out. And this is the thing, if, we, if, we don't, if we're not clear up front the value that we contribute, whether it's the home or in the workplace, yeah. we will undermine the value of our yeah. contribution. And I think women, we don't want to let anyone down. Whereas I think men are on their track. They're, sometimes they don't really mind. But I think that's hard because you don't want to let your family down. You, you said you did something, so I take that on and I think that adds to this idea of not speaking up. It's, yeah. it's interesting because the way it's, <laughs> you know, it's so much of it depends on your personality and your background and, and what you've kind of seen. So I'm, I'm Greek and I've come from a fairly what I would say is progressive given my parents. Yeah, fairly progressive um, in that my, yeah, my parents um, migrated here. My father cooked, which is very unusual for, you know, a Greek man who is now in his, in his 70s, probably unusual for a Greek man generally, <laughs> if I haven't alienated any of our viewers or listeners. Um, but 
having him seeing him do that kind of create, created a different shift and they and that happened because um, my mum worked shift work and she didn't really have the option of cooking dinner because she had to work because we needed money and so that changes the dynamic of what you see but to the point about how you have these conversations I remember a really clear you know example of a conversation that I had with my husband who is one of the most honestly you know wonderful and empathetic people um, who has not been on the podcast but for those who know him he he really is and I said to him one day um, how do you think something I was so sarcastic I said to him how do you think the laundry actually makes its way from the dirty clothes basket where you put it <laughs> back into your cupboard do you think it happens by magic <laughs> It's a process that involves someone putting it in the washing machine and then hanging it up and then putting it away. And I said this at the time that the clothes were drying and I hadn't had time to put them away for like maybe a day. And um, he just looked at me and he said, oh, if you wanted me to put them away, why didn't you just ask me? Yeah. And it's that <laughs> that's, moment that's right, my point. of confrontation or of, of your own self-confrontation where you think, well, why did I let it get to that point where it was bugging me and he didn't do it to bug me he just didn't think about it and so there's this whole thing around how we actually create parameters and we create our own narrative that we then psych ourselves into believing yeah. this is our reality I remember Craig who we have a very much 50 50 in fact maybe it's 60 40 his way I'm not sure anyway um he opened the fridge once and said and I was working full-time then and busy and traveling and said we've got no milk well how do you think I responded? <laughs> he might have well said, our whole organisation as family is is broken. We're, and it triggered, and he listened and then he said, so do you want me to go and get some? <laughs> it was a complete overreaction, but to that point, yeah. it was like, I felt yeah. like it was criticism oh. of the system's brokenness. <laughs> yes. yeah. It just was an observation. It yeah. was, I know, and this is the thing around the narratives we and the stories and, we tell but ourselves, But what right? I find fascinating for all of us here who on the whole are, you know, working and, and had great careers alongside, you know, our own situations from a family or a partner perspective, but every single one of us has acknowledged that we've got a really supportive partner. Oh, yeah. And I, don't, I think... <laughs> Probably all of us would say that we wouldn't have been able to do what we do without balance yes. of some form yes. at home. Now, maybe we didn't get the balance that perhaps was 50-50, but we've got very supportive partners. So I think they're the takeout in terms of um, younger people who maybe are, are grappling with that is to have the conversation that you do need support. You can't do it all by yourself. And so to have that conversation is absolutely important. Um, and Kate, I was really interested to tap into something that you picked up in terms of the list, which was really around the wealth. Mm -hmm. And so maybe we'll move on to that mm. topic in terms of the gender balance and the impact. Yeah, I, and I think there's wealth. two pieces to it. Uh, one is just a top-down stat that I didn't know, 40 $2 trillion is going to be transferred to females over the next 20, 30 years. 42 trillion. 40, globally, 42 trillion. It came from a Barron's conference. There, It's it's a number that is starting to be talked about. In terms of more women in the workplace, like what's no, that shift? Wealth. 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 Inheritance. Yeah. So either uh, people, women getting richer that have had startups, a lot coming from Asia. 
and from China, but it's also the wealth transfer um, and also the fact that women are going to live longer than men. So there's a whole lot behind, let's say how rubbery that number is, but all it does is spark in my mind that women are going to be at the forefront of wealth. And I think, you know, we like to look at Melinda and Bill Gates Foundation. To me, that's a great demonstration. They're sitting at the table together. Yes. And she is influencing their asset allocation and their decisions as much as he is. So yes. that is wealth. That yes. is gives power. So I think we can think about it in that way and what it will do for decision makers, what it will do for boards, what it will do for cultures of yeah. businesses that women have created. Uh, but I think it flows through also into how are women being educated about financial literacy? Mm. Because we come out now um, and I expect we know people around our table that um, and different working relationships that some women work, some don't. Uh, but if you have financial literacy and you haven't been working, you are at a better spot to understand if relationships break down, understand your value and it's back to what Simone was talking about, your value. Uh, so I think that financial literacy is really important for women. But then we cross over into... I'm also go, go boy in a way. There's so much go girl out there that we need to empower our women. I am concerned for the education of boys and what young men see their role as because it's very negative for them. If you really listen to what they're hearing um, in the media, it's don't do that, don't do that, don't... But so I, And you've been doing it wrong forever. You've been doing it wrong. So the model's broken. Now, there, I acknowledge there's people like Man Cave doing fantastic work around, you know, um, youth and transition, <clears throat> but I think that education and empowerment of owning those financial decisions around understanding your finances, understanding how your household operates yeah. is sort of core. So it is around the wealth imbalance, and, but I think if we can spend some energy into what's our youth that are coming into that, it, it could almost, really change the system. Yeah. We're almost at this point of this real clash for people where the traditional kind of roles and just fundamental beliefs, it's that those self-elements that people have identified with are coming to a head and contrasting with the reality of what's happening. And so, mm. to your point, the whole identity comes undone. It can create huge insecurity and unknown for men and women and you know you only have to look at the cases of you know if I look at depression and, and the issues that both men and women face and boys and girls face yeah. um, but it is prevalent in boys especially at the yeah. moment yeah. you know and and maybe these you know it's all interrelated and and so big it yeah it's really interesting because so I do a lot of work in the you know the whole concept of digital digital industry fourth industrial revolution and one of the things that I've really enjoyed seeing is the democratisation, I can't believe I said that properly <laughs> the first time, um, around access to wealth creation. And so women um, having an opportunity to develop entrepreneurial dispositions because, you know, how many people start off just by selling stuff at home and suddenly you're online and you're running a digital business and you have access to money that you may not have had and you're kind of learning along the way. And those types of things may not have been possible in the same way without digital. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and so that creates a whole stack of opportunities and then, you know, a wonderful array of stories around um, very young women as well and, and men, but equally women who are just able to take a concept and obviously convert that into a really great value proposition. It doesn't always happen, but I think opportunity, wealth has to start with opportunity. Not everybody's, for, you know, fortunate enough to be able to inherit wealth. And so the opportunity to actually create that with an idea Mm. Um, it doesn't always work, but essentially you have an avenue to do that, I think is really amazing, yeah. really it amazing. It really is. And I think, you know, it's really interesting if the, that shift in wealth is going to happen is what we're hearing. So it, it is about how do we prepare mm. our young, the younger generations for that, whether it's through education, whether it's through the, the mentoring, whether it's through access to technology. You know, there's a whole system that has to sit behind that in preparing for a shift that we know is going to happen. Yeah. Um, and then how can we enable it? What can we do, and listeners, what can everyone do in that change of ecosystem, really? Because I just see it's a confluence of and, all and, that's coming together. And, what can we do? And, and, Kate, I know you're on the board of a couple of schools as well. Mm -hmm. So from an education perspective, what can we do? Like, what are the sorts of things that you think we need to be doing? Well, I actually think some of it starts in the home because a lot of this is modelled behaviour around what Chris does when he opens the fridge and Simone does to open the fridge to make the dinner. You know, and I'm not saying we've got it perfect in our house, you know, um, but it's what are the expectations? And I know my teenage daughter would say I've got higher expectations than her than our son. Right. Now, whether I don't believe that, that's her perception. That's nice. mm. And I think that's quite interesting in itself. So I think some of it is around be very aware of, of, of what we're saying and what we're doing and, and, and what we're picking up on. Um, I know I'm very sensitive to some of my son's behaviour around... Uh, towards me if it's of that disrespectful piece um, probably go from zero to 11 a little fast uh, but it's because of that Matt it's because it teaches in the home of values I then think from an educational point of view there is a wholesale shift to well-being and I think that's good I think that's good um, but I my sense is I think there needs to be uh, further work and I know the Victorian government has done a full review last year of um, career guidance and what we need to do huge number of uh, recommendations but one of the recommendations have come out is to build a career conversation done in seven and eight year seven and eight that's a wholesale shift that's a shift to the system now what that will do is help them find their purpose now I'm not sure all career guidance comes out with a purpose but it's back to if we can help educate to not only get an ATAR and it's not about Alice, as you know, saying I'm going to be a lawyer, mm. it's about what is my, it's not my passion, what is my purpose and how can I credentialise myself around that purpose? So I think we're on a journey now, I think mm. it's, but it's at different levels. Um, yeah. I have a question around how te technology mm. can enable that, it's all about the data, but at the end of the day, it is about who are you exposed to? Yeah, and yeah. I think who, it's... Who shines your light yeah. Yeah. on... Um, helping you navigate deeply into what your passion is. Mm. So, so I'm going to change tact a little bit because it's a really nice segue. And one of the other things on the list is about media and media mm -hmm. coverage. And mm. I think it's one thing to acknowledge what we need to do at home, but the role that yep. the media and role models play is just so phenomenal yep. because that's what your children are seeing, living yep. and experiencing. Yep. And employees at work, any of us, that's far more. And I, I don't know if you've seen the new Nike. Have you seen the yes. new Nike ad with Serena Williams? And I love like, it. There's just... A, the most brilliant quote that I thought I'll, I'll yep. read because it's just so brilliant. But um, maybe we talk about as well the way the role yep. that the media plays. So in this Nike ad, and you can look it up, um, the, the sort of the overlay of it is 
If we show emotion, we're called dramatic. If we want to play against men, we're nuts. And if we dream of equal opportunity, we're delusional. When we stand for something, we're unhinged. When we're too good, there's something wrong with us. And if we get angry, we're hysterical, irrational, or just being plain crazy. And I, I mean, yes. when I hear that, I'm like, <laughs> yes, all yes. those things. Like, <laughs> yeah. yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So, so yes. What, what resonates with you about that statement? What's the role that the media and the, and the outside world play in changing oh, this gender balance? It. I know, or every single part. Because what what's implicit in that is this is what's said about us versus what would be the perception of a male in that situation. And, and I mean, it's that's not just a sporting situation, yeah. right? Like yeah. we've all seen that play yeah. out at work where women are too aggressive or they're, you know, too emotional. Mm. Yeah. Well, the archetype leader is uh, testosterone fueled, right, is, is dominant, um, has broad shoulders, you know, speaks in a in a certain tone in a certain way and male or female if if you don't look like that it's you don't necessarily um you know, appeal to the, the the followers the potential followers again in an organization or in the, in the community so it's really hard if you, if you don't sort of if you don't take on that archetype that we've been conditioned to believing and even if the media changed today we changed all of our ads and ran campaigns we're still going to watch old movies and yeah. So I don't know how to stop it apart from at this stage in our evolution to be really aware that there are different types of successful leaders out there. And, and do you think, you know, we don't have gender equality in the boardroom amongst boards within executives and C-suites. Mm. So is there a stereotypical... Like, uh, do those um, characteristics that you speak of, does that play out in, in terms oh, of... Oh, you're talking about Peter? <laughs> <laughs> this is talk- Peter the board the, the um I, I'm talking the, about so the, 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 the women that are you know that are successful is because they are more extroverted or they can speak out more you know what what, what diversity are we actually seeing around the table well the reason so so Peter is for for those Maybe I am talking who about don't, Peter. I don't well know yeah you know it's so Peter there's there's more um for so I'm talking about it uh, Australia there's there's more Peters on on boards than there are women. Right, so um, now Peter is. <laughs> Sorry, just to clarify. You mean there's more people, men with a name, with the name Peter, yeah. yes, on boards than there are. Yeah. Now, now Peter's the archetype, right? That I'm talking about. Now, rightfully, on a on a board, so it, so a board is, um, you know, for those of you who are not familiar and listening, you tend to, to sit over an organisation for good governance, and they should be there. And there's a degree of due diligence and responsibility that this board needs to take in making sure that the company's solvent, right? So to do that, you're probably a lawyer, you probably, or you, you've come from a finance background, you've been really good at it, right? So you've dedicated your life to this, you've made sacrifices, your wife has looked after the kids, um, you've had long lunches, maybe a little bit heavy around the belly as a result, <laughs> mid-50s, that sort of thing, right? Now I'm being, I'm using yeah. a stereotype, but yeah. this is, this is, this the is reality. who he yeah. is, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. Now this is, and you're, and you're a baby boomer, right now. Now there's an X generation that's coming in that, um, and and generally what I love is, is these um, uh, guys, and also the, there's a particular type of woman, maybe in the same age bracket, who was told not to show vulnerability. Mm. Right? This is how we get through the glass ceiling. Um, and this is how you get to fit into this archetype as a female. This is what you wear. This is how you sound, etc. 
and it starts to inform the next generation who wants to become a board. Now, I think the good news is, is that generation of, of leader is they're very self-aware. They are talking about it, but again, you know, it's not, not through no fault of this particular group. They're still projecting that image, and you know, we're not necessarily having that brought. We're having that community conversation that we're looking for diversity at that that level. Um, which is where we're encouraging more people to think about um, taking those leadership positions longer term. It sort of makes it quite clear why the younger sort of millennials would prefer to work for themselves. Yeah, because you don't have to deal with any of that. I, I, la- I just inadvertently laughed when you were going through the archetype because I could pick a, a picture came to my mind and I knew exactly what you were describing, Simone, because the archetype is so real yeah. and it's it's so easy for us to, to you know, represent. I actually just remembered, I don't know why I forgot this, but maybe because, you know, I haven't thought about it for a long time, but I actually did my honours in classical history um, as well as studying to be a lawyer. So... Um, I actually did it in gender representation and I'm really interested because when we talk about how we're going to break this stuff down, what we have to remember is context and context is the socio-political environment that is inherent in the, our, you know, our culture and our civilization for thousands of years. So when you read classical history, whether it's Roman or, or, or Greek or anything else, you see the stereotypes play out and the women are in two archetypes, so they're not Peter, the men are all, you know, um, warriors and the women are either um, waiting at home, faithful wives, um, like Penelope and, and Odysseus, um, or they're very, they're sexually predatory. <laughs> There's nothing, in, there is actually not much in between. And so when you're thinking about um, how this stuff plays out. Then you see it play out in movies as well. Mm-hmm. And so it plays out in um, songs and art and, and a whole stack of things. And so when we're talking about how you solve this, it's really, really complicated because it's – I won't say it's hardwired because I don't think it is, but it's its thousands of years of conditioning. It's embedded. Uh, and you're also going to be threatening a model yes. and you're threatening the success that that archetype has built their life on. So as I – thought there was you know a, a criticism about me not getting milk you know, that I probably overreached in my reaction well similarly that Peter who's had a great life and validation and it's threatening and so what happens is you don't get the best response so hence why the media at the moment we have a lot of males yelling at us I don't understand it I do intellectually they're yelling because their their power is being threatened and it's a sense and of identity, isn't yeah, it? Like yeah, so it's, it's power so and identity and, and everyone wants it's, that sense of belonging. Yeah. And if you're belonging and your identity for, for existence has has been mostly created around gender, yeah. then, yeah, hugely unsettling to have that sort yeah. of torn away or questioned. And I would highlight some really great work that has been done by Carol Swartz to pull together a list of references of female experts so the media can have experts in different industries, different sectors to call on for whether it's interviews in the AFR or pictures or you know, if you look at the AFR online and you flick male, male, male picture, you know, she has done a lot of work of pulling this together. So when the media says, yeah, but there are no women, she has a database full of that. So I think that's a fantastic mm. piece of work. And obviously Liz Brodwick, Brodwick, what she's done around Males Champions of Change and there's a massive focus around sport now. Um, she, the males, male champion of change has been taken internationally. Mm. Um, 
it is a way of thinking to help shift the male ego and yeah you might have the leaders who are at the table but we need that to shift because it is the structure that is it's their power base and what we really want to be saying is it's going to be good for all of us it will be okay on the other side but I'm not sure the white female is going to help that conversation but the white male will help that conversation so And, and coming back to International Women's Day like that's the whole point as well is saying this isn't just a women's issue that we should be discussing it's going to take everybody. It's raising consciousness and having the discussion so that nobody feels outplaced by it yep. and that the yeah. voice of one gender is not louder than another but in yes. creating change. Yes. Yeah. We, but we need to be comfortable in having the conversation. Mm-hmm. So maybe we can flip the conversation now because picking up on that, there's a whole stack of really interesting things and one of them to me is that we actually should celebrate um, men and acknowledge them when it w- uh, when they're doing it really well because a lot of the time it's all the things around um, I guess the storytelling that we mm-hmm. tell ourselves which is it's really hard and everyone's really awful um, <laughs> and part of it is actually saying there are really great pockets and if you really want um, change and systemic transformation then a lot of that is actually embedded in finding the pockets of excellence yeah, yeah. and making those stories stand yeah. out and become louder than the ones of the, you know, the 50 mm-hmm. that don't work until you get mm-hmm. the redistribution of And And positive. so in the nature of, chain, of sharing positive stories, where have we seen it work? Where have we seen... I, I you know, I'm lucky enough to work with a brilliant CEO and, and he's part of the Male Champions of Change program and he has been very vocal um, in our workplace and setting an example for employees in terms of um, having open discussions around... Um, uh, even everyday sexism, um, forming and setting goals that provide criteria for the business in terms of whether it relates to leadership opportunities, um, doing more pay and um, gender pay gap analysis, and having that as a regular item on the, uh, the executive and, and agenda. And what's his name, Nat? His, his name's Tim Reid. <laughs> well, well, well done, Tim. Well done, Tim. He has featured on a Leadership yeah. of Fools episode, um, talking specifically about his role in male champions of change. But you know, again, that's a case to celebrate. What else, what else have we seen? Where else have we seen this success? I might, it worries me that people are sort of looking. Uh, oh no, I was just trying not to talk over everybody. Look, I read a, I was a very, I only skimmed it yesterday um, in between um, different meetings, but um, I saw that IBM has appointed. Um, uh, she's, uh, I think, I only saw the headline and I bookmarked it to go back, but a new board member, and it's actually the first, I think. Uh, commander of a nuclear submarine or the first woman to be part of the army and she's african-american as well Um, and i know that um, from working with ibm that they um, do a lot for progression of women so i know that that's not a token appointment i'm going to use that word because it happens quite a bit and so i saw that and i thought sorry i'm going to i'm going to just to delve into that when you the say tokenism. the tokenism <laughs> what, what do you mean by that what have you experienced um oh, we, what need, do you we, see? we need a woman yeah. <laughs> got her <laughs> i've been it's I've, kind yeah. of like yeah. you know when you're at the supermarket and you go do you need a do you, do you want lemons oh, i don't know we might need them yeah let's put them in the basket it's the same sort of thing but the, you know having the acknowledgement of there's value in this because of her experience yes. and the diversity that she represents which is probably racial cultural racial as well as experiential diversity it's diversity as on well all as levels. gender diversity i think is interesting yeah yeah this token piece yeah I say, Simone's got something ticking away <laughs> you look like you're thinking mind. about no, that I think, this is stimulating so much in me because it's it's back to that 
bit around value success. Success stories are where um, he or she has been truly valued for their contribution. And and I do think it's starting to come through in, in all walks of life. I think there's a consciousness that's starting to occur. I feel really positive. Even the fact that the theme for International Women's Day is about balance is a massive step in our evolution. Um, so uh, the specific examples, you know, for, for me are... Uh, I think there's, there's just a lot of them. And I think a lot of our listeners um, would know... There's, there's little things. That, uh, there's nothing... I haven't felt anything, but I could be wrong, that's groundbreaking yet. But the fact that Serena Williams can say that and a company would get behind her and there isn't outrage, you mm-hmm. know, to me says there's, there's something going on. Yeah, and I agree with you. It's, it's the little things are, that will actually bring about system change. I've got three... Um, one across sport. Uh, the success of women's f- AFL has been fantastic and it's not just can they play, um, it's they play a really good game, that's fantastic. And women's cricket has gone a long way. They're mainstream viewing, mainstream viewing, that A, you can watch it. And so the rights have been sorted, but the conversation is now moving, oh, we actually have a problem with facilities and change rooms. We don't have enough grounds for the demand and nor do we have enough female change rooms. This is excellent conversation because this is the council then to fix it. We're in problem solving rather than this would be a great idea. Um, So I think that's really positive. The other one I would say is leaders that stand out. um, I work a lot with Stephen Fitzgerald, who people may know that name, um, and he is a male champions of change. Um, He recently won, was an award in an AO. The way he carries himself in conversation to make this a topic wherever possible. So he... It's, it's part of the conversation. It's not a crusade. It's how business is going and how your business is going and how you are operating. And I think that's really important because it's just part of a conversation to search for ideas, suggestions, sharing. And I think that really is to be awarded. The other one um, that I, I think from an art perspective is Tim Winton. Tim Winton's work that he did that followed from the Shepherd's Hut, his recent book, um, he didn't set out to be a crusader, as he said, but he lived that um, character, and I'm not sure if people are familiar with Shepherd's Hut, but it explores young male adolescence. But his expose following that around where we are in our maleness of Australia is only really exposed as Tim Winton can Mm. because he is a male, because he is able to characterise it I think that really that helps of this every different genre, whether it's sport, business, or art, to bring this conversation. It's, it's happening all around us. It is happening all around us, and we hear it. You know, you do, it's an everyday conversation now, which is fantastic. There's this thing to me. I'm going to kind of challenge it a little bit. It's the way I guess my mum taught me when she, you know, with with what I saw in the home. Um, but there's almost like just sh- um, drop the shackles of this learned helplessness, oh, right? Yeah. And I know that might be that might be very confronting to some people because like I'm I'm in this system, um, but I've ha- been hanging around as I said with a 30 year old male friend, and his whole thing is I make my own destiny, and so if you change your mindset 
around what is possible and what isn't possible, then you write, I love the whole reference to the narrative because at the end of the day, again, it's the story we tell ourselves. And I can say this because last year I quit my job. <laughs> I was a very, you know, a senior executive in, um, in a very large business. IBM, I was, yeah. <laughs> um, and now I'm doing a thousand different things um, and I'm so intellectually stimulated. I'm in situations where I don't know what I'm doing for some things and I'm so okay with that. And then in other situations, I get to really feel that I'm shining because I'm in that sweet spot of this is my expertise and I'm learning and giving and contributing and doing all of these amazing things. And so you kind of think, well, there's nothing that's not possible. Mm. And so it's really about confronting all the things that you think you can't do mm. and saying this is what is possible. I do have a very wonderful husband <laughs> who's been really supportive through that whole process and that makes a really, really big difference. But sometimes it's just, you know, mindset shift and that's how you get the balance of, of what it, it is. It right? really is. And I think for probably for all of us, we've lived through that uh, part of the social shift. Like it certainly started before us. But if I even think back to what I think was possible and, you know, I was talking to somebody about when we did work experience at school and, you know, probably some of the most ambitious people in the class, you know, sent to be the receptionist at, oh. you know, whilst the boys were going off to do legal, you know, experience in a legal firm. Like, it stems back sort of so far and I think back to then, you know, the first probably few roles that I had even through university and early in my career, you know, very gender probably typical roles. But to be able to break through that and if I think about, well, what's created that breakthrough, I think there's a few things. I think number one is um, coming from a family that um, was probably quite gender typical in some ways but my mum said to me, you know, growing up, always have options, always have options, My always make me. sure yeah. that you can make your own choices and that you've got options in life. And I think that was one thing that really stuck with me. And then I do feel for my career, I've been able to work in companies that are quite progressive from quite a young age. So working at REA, you know, digital companies and tech companies that have to be more progressive in their thinking. Mm. And so I've been given fantastic opportunities along the way. But I think it's also about being brave and confident enough to take the opportunities and being non-apologetic um, and perhaps taking those risks throughout. And, and I guess if there's one thing that I think about, there has been a huge shift that have opened opportunities and I think it's fantastic that for people younger than me, there's going to be even more of those opportunities oh, yeah. and that's, yeah. you know, amazing. Yes. Well, and I think we also have to acknowledge not all companies and communities are advanced. I think that, that's, that groups like REA are in the minority. Um, you know, I work in a sector that um, uh, is much more traditional and a lot of Australia and its GDP is, has been supported by traditional industry and it just doesn't evolve as mm -hmm. quickly as where our heads are at and that impacts families all around the country. Um, so we just... It gets back to being really... Um, stable within ourselves. So, so back to Nat, your mum's advice about having options, knowing who you are and really the essence of who you are, not even what your mum wants you to be, but really who you are. And I think as much as a family can be, you know, having a supportive partner is a win, it, there's also a risk that you end up giving a lot of who you are or, or in balancing your family that you don't balance yourself. And this is something I think that people who are not in a relationship learn to do very well, maybe through necessity, is to have that self-balance. So to not lose self 
in the process of maintaining balance within a family, community or company. Really important. That, that balance one, we sort of started there. It, we're all sort of nodding, nodding our heads because it, I think it rings so true and maybe, you know, we're talking about how far we've come but maybe in that balance piece it's one that I certainly see perhaps we've got a lot more work to do on and really trying to uncover and recognise what we need to do to create that balance for ourselves. I think that's the next stage. You know, I, I remember... Um, Working for a progressive company, thinking, yeah. So, yeah. So, I, I think the next phase in uh, equality is really about this wonderful word that I learned about called equanimity, which is the psychological state of stability and balance. It's the um, having that equilibrium, equanimity is the word, within our self. And uh, through there, we, we naturally start to place different values on things which align to values that other people place within them, their selves. And communities grow well that way. We can have, we can have balance from within and move it without, I'm from so outside. I'm so glad that I've learned a new word for the yeah. day. I know. One of my only, I'm sure that the next one time I'm going to pronounce it, it is, I won't be able It's to one of my favourite words. And yeah. I, I couldn't... What does I'm, it mean I'm nodding. Precisely what Simone said and um, I think it's a challenge because it's often used in mindfulness as a, a path to spirituality um, but I think now it's being taken into more common speak. And I think it should be because it's not just a path to equity, sorry, a path to spirituality. Um, and I think if you listen to the likes of, say, Dan Harris, um, 10% Happier, fantastic in really bringing it back to the everyday. And it is what it's about. It's about knowing yourself and being in balance of that. Now, we won't find it all the time. As so, you know, we, we will, I, I uh, thrive best when I exercise for different reasons. But I know when I was running the business out of Asia, five times a week was not physically possible. So maybe three times a week for 20 minutes was possible and that was still good at that time, right? That was balance at that time. So it's being kind to yourself around what your drivers are and what you can do mm, um, yes. because I think that's part of it. Um, and I think it's also creating time to think about it and that's hard because we've all only blessed with 24 hours a day. So it's how we use it. And I think social media and how we interact with social media is really interesting <laughs> because we're being consumed by it. And we have to be proactive across our whole life about how we spend our time. Mm. How we filter yeah. our how thoughts, what we consume yeah. in terms of food yeah. and information. And so I think it's challenging that? for adults because we didn't grow up with it, but it's challenging for children yeah. and youth and because it's part of your life and it's part of our information. I mean, I, I'm informed by Twitter. I love it. But... How much is enough? Or is that equivalent to reading the paper every day? Am I as informed? Or So it's just checking in there. And, and you've got other things to kind of balance it against, like other life references, whereas young people don't have anything else to balance it against. Yeah. It's so, just life. Yeah, it's life. So I think it's um, if we start with finding that balance, then it will give us a reference point for things that come into our mind, such as mental health or social media or tricky relationships or... Peter the boss it, it gives you and it also allows you to bring in the future and identify environments that fill you up you both speak very highly of Rhea REA but I'm not sure you really probably understood that when you were in it as much as what you do now 
Yeah, I, I wonder if sometimes as well, and it sort of talks to Simone's point, you know, when you're lucky enough to be in a progressive organisation where yeah. these conversations, and even where I am now, where you've got a CEO who has an agenda about equality, um, the reality is, as Simone, as Simone spoke to, is that that's not representative yeah. of the, the kind of normal population. And, you know, I had a re this real sort of awakening moment recently. We've been um, going through a sort of private equity situation, but... You know, it's really interesting when we needed to do the presentations as part of the due diligence and so all these people come into a room and all of a sudden I found myself as one of two women amongst 40 men. Yeah. And it was the first time in such a long time for oh. me where I've been that outnumbered and, and really felt as the minority. Right. And so, yes, it, you know, it is yeah. unique and, and it's not representative of all workplaces. And, you know, even from talking to friends and seeing people yeah. in different industries, yeah, it's vastly different out there and, and I think globally and in Australia, we've still got such a long way yeah. to go and we're so lucky here in Australia. I mean, really in contrast to what is happening in terms of gender equality across the world, yeah. we're at the forefront. There are places doing it better and places doing it not as well. And I think part of it is just understanding where you are and yeah. having the, that context. For me, you know, it's interesting when you said that, I thought, oh, so many times I found myself being the only woman in the room. And, um, and so it's interesting because the conversation we were having earlier was around balance, which to me goes to that whole idea of permission and permission to be what you would consider to be selfish, right, which is that whole idea of looking after yourself and having permission to say, I actually need these things to perform at my best, which I think as women we probably tend to defer because it's always about someone else's needs. I think um, if you kind of change that and shift that a little bit, then that is um, – and you get into that idea that that's what you need to actually perform. And when you're yep. performing that is good for everybody, then that's a pro around how you actually structure things. This, uh, is, this is a wonderful thing that I'm seeing. So I, I um, do a lot of recruitment in what I do and I've um, you know, been asking interview questions over the years. And what I see companies valuing more and more of is deep domain expertise. People who've chosen something to be passionate and really good at. So it's one thing to be broad and if say, say you're in business, you've got a broad understanding of business. But what's preferred is to be very good at something. Yeah. Now, that's a wonderful thing for an individual because it allows you to, to pick a target and just do that really well. Yeah. Yeah. And Mastery. even from your family to yeah. be the master of great communication. Yeah. Maybe your family involves, uh, you know, values having fun together. And so you're going to put more effort into having fun together, yeah. less effort, you know, into um, the housework and yeah. being, on yeah. being a perfectionist, that sort of thing. Picking your mark and going... In some ways, I've actually been fortunate to go back to that whole idea of women in the room, and I'm sorry I cut you off, Kate. Um, I have thought less about being a woman in the room than I've actually thought about I'm here because I have something to contribute, because of mastery and expertise in something, and that has made me feel very comfortable in my own skin in a situation where you think this could be hostile territory. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and it's like, well, no one... I'm here because no one knows as much as I do about this, and I'm actually OK to own it, and I'm completely un unapologetic about how good I am in this space. I think that that is fantastic 
it also talks to confidence and experience. And so I think for younger people and for younger women, that's a lot harder because you get to a point in your career and I think we can all sort of, um, you know, we're all familiar with that and it's so nice when you get to a point where you think (laughs) I am in the room because of my expertise and and what I've got to offer here. Um, It's whether or not, you know, when you're more junior, whether or not you feel that same level of confidence. I think that's a female challenge. And it was reminding me of the panel I was on for International Women's Day last year and uh, the comment I made, it was a, a younger audience and I'm very aware that we talk about role models. Right. Well, really, the role model of the 55-year-old woman who sits on a board isn't looking nothing like the woman who has had five years out from uni f- pushing through to do what she's doing, thinking about children. It, it's a long way of behind life experience but also context and so my advice was have conversations with your peers because they're experiencing what you are experiencing you might talk to other people in different age groups etc but I think don't underestimate in building that out building that conversation to see that you're not alone these questions and the support that they can get and someone came up to me afterwards and said oh I don't really feel I'd want to talk about those personal issues. And it's the idea that, well, they're not personal. They're they're your journey. That is how you are going to navigate to execute the professional issue is the personal issue. If you solve some of these life tips around other things. So it was giving her permission that actually you can have this fulsome conversation. And and be vulnerable because that's the whole idea about the confidence and the vulnerability, isn't it? And I should say that not everybody wants to aspire or is aspiring to be a 55-year-old, you know, when they're 55 or earlier, the age, a, a woman on a boardroom. There are lots of, lots and lots of options for women now around, you know, uh, where they fit, the types of roles that they do, how they spend their time, how they create wealth. There are so many options. And so role models can come from, from anywhere. anywhere and they can be anyone. So, um, so we're moving into tip territory, which is fantastic because we're going to move on to that. A lot of – we're going to have to – we could talk about these topics yep. forever and I'm just hoping that uh, we can negotiate with Colin to come back and talk on some more specific um, topics that relate to this. But a lot of what we've talked about today did have some contribution from people via LinkedIn. So I just wanted to do a shout-out to Karen Tipping, Jane Sadler, Trish Barbato, uh, Melita Hardenberg, Graham Plant, Melissa Donald and Mim Bartlett for their contributions, which is fantastic. And then I was hoping to just ask each of you – and we'll go around quickly around the table – Two things. What's your one tip for balance for better in terms of something that our audience can learn? And what's your commitment in brief for the next 12 months? Oh, the, the one tip, uh, something I've done since I was very young and I, I come back to all the time is, is a daily meditation practice. Um, and that's that's a way that I can connect with um, a deeper sense of, of who I am. Uh, and my what was the second What's your question? Commitment? My my commitment is to is to stay on this journey and to keep sharing what I'm I'm learning the, the good, the bad, the ugly. Because of course, even with the daily meditation <laughs> practice, where I'm I'm doing that because it is a discipline. You know what we're trying to do here this this idea of um, equanimity. Is um, is a daily practice of psychological stability, and things happen in life every day that that challenge me to 
to have, you know, highs and lows. But that's the one constant probably in life. That's the so one every constant. Every day we'll have some challenges in it. Absolutely. So, so my, um, it, it's that my commitment is to, to stick with that practice and to, to share my journey along the way. Love it. Alice? I felt I went too early <laughs> on the tip. Um, probably just be kind to yourself. Because there's so much pressure. We put so much, oh, I know I put myself under so much pressure and I always have. And so, you know, the things that we've been talking about, talk to others, find role models, meditate, whatever works, for, find something that works for you, but give yourself a break because it's really hard. It's not, if it was easy, we wouldn't have spent an hour talking about it. We would have spent five minutes admiring the topic and <laughs> moving on. Um, in terms of, you know, my commitment, um, I'm really curious. So I love this whole idea around lifelong learning. And to me, learning comes from many, many different places. And there's so much information and so many people that are generous about sharing what it is that they know. And not everything works for you personally. Um, but I'm taking a lot of things in and then working out what works for me and I kind of like that I'm on this self-discovery <laughs> process um, because, you know, all of it's about working out a better version of yourself and because we're talking to younger people, hashtag best life ever. Coach? <laughs> <laughs> They're two big questions. Yeah. Um, the, I'll just put it out there and I couldn't – I concur both with – you mindfulness um, and also giving yourself a break. Uh, I think my tip is where you think you can influence impact change, influence system change, do it. So don't be afraid mm. and don't think you've got to wait to be the CEO mm. or it's for tomorrow. There, there are ways that you at every level can maybe communicate differently with someone, maybe talk about yourself differently, maybe highlight it to someone else that don't underestimate that conversation, your observation. So, you know, see the light and move towards it would be my one comment. Um, for me personally, my focus is around helping people articulate their worth. Oh, fabulous. Yeah. And that's males and females mm. uh, and I think we have a really confusing world out there and I, I beg anyone who can predict the political environment, um, the economic environment, the skill set that's needed. There's a lot of uncertainty and I'm not discounting historically there's always uncertainty but where we are here and now there is. So really all you have is your own personal resiliency mm. and so if you can articulate your worth and feel your worth you will then be able to work through the uncertain times. Oh, I agree. Critical skill. Um, and I guess I have to go next. And as you're all talking, I was like, oh, there's so many good things there. So um, in terms of my one tip, um, I think it's about leaning into this change. Um, I think it's quite easy to sort of lean away from it because it is a little bit daunting. Um, and so I think for all of the listeners and other people is where there's opportunity, we need to lean in because that's how we'll create change in the fastest kind of way possible. Um, and I think the commitment for me, and it's been something that I've been reflecting on a little bit lately, is sort of being non-apologetically female. And I say that in a, as yes. a leader in an organisation where... I have a tendency, for example, to use the words, I'm sorry, my child is sick, I've got to go, or I'm sorry, I need to drop my child off the next morning, I'll be at work at 8.30 or whatever it happens to be. And those words, I'm sorry, 
um, undo all of the work that we're trying to do here for balance for better. So I'm going to be non-apologetically female. Nice. Um, so some Excellent. fantastic tips there. We're yeah. all smiling. Yeah. So excited for International Women's Day. Encourage all of our listeners and everybody on social media to share their own stories, their tips, words of inspiration that really reflect how we can achieve this balance for better. Um, and most importantly, thank you, everybody. Thank you, Colin, for letting us do this special episode of Leadership of Fools. And See you, you next Nat. time. Thank you. Somersault works with organisations through transformation and growth. Please subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or wherever you do your listening.